This is the Paranormal Podcast with Jim Harold. Welcome to the Paranormal Podcast. I am Jim Harold, and so glad to be with you today. And if you followed me anytime at all, you know that we love to talk about questions like ancient astronauts, ancient aliens, uh, the mysteries of ancient cultures. And we have a perfect guest to do that. He's back on the show once again. He's been on multiple times. We're talking about Mike Ricksecker author of Amazon bestsellers like Travels Through Time and A Walk in the Shadows. And that's just two. He's written, uh, I think, another 13. Is it another 13 in addition to that? Or is it uh, is total it 13? 13. 13. 13. Lucky yeah, 13. 13 total. But that is awesome. He's also, talk about a renaissance man. He's a U.S. Air Force veteran. We thank him for his service. He's also a popular guest on television. He has appeared on the History Channel's Ancient Aliens, Travel Channel's The Alaska Triangle, and more. And he's not simply a guest. He's also a producer of his own work. And he's a producer and director of the docuseries The Shadow Dimension. He hosts the Edge of the Rabbit Hole live stream. And he also, in his spare time, runs Haunted Road Media. And he is the host of the annual Stargates of Ancient Egypt tour that's coming up in April. I know he's going to tell us about that. And uh, we're so glad to dive into the world of ancient mysteries with Mike Ricksecker. Mike, welcome back to the show. Always good to speak with you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me back, Jim. Always, like you said, always a pleasure to speak with you. And, uh, you know, yeah, getting to know you a little bit better here uh, over the past year. And, uh, you know, like the... Of course, the Cleveland logo behind you. We're getting yeah, snow today, yeah. so it's always, yeah, always fun. Yeah, big snow, yeah. It amazes me how many people who are into these subjects live in this area. There's a lot yeah. of people and uh, people who, like you you know, who do podcasts and TV and books and all that. It must be something in the air, but I, I think it's a lot of fun. And and uh, Mike is. and I had, had the opportunity late last year to have lunch together. And it just was, it sometimes it's really just nice to meet in person. It's kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. Yeah, we had a nice time together, got to know you a little bit better. And uh, and you're right, there are a lot of people in this area that are uh, very intrigued by this type of research, this phenomena that we see and experience and are doing their own research. So I guess we're curious souls here in the Cleveland area. I guess so. So, I mean, uh, we've talked about this on the show before, but there's always new people tuning in. Uh, I mean, you're a, a very smart man. Um, I, I won't uh, I, I won't give away the full story, but you you work in an area that uh, requires a lot of intelligence and a lot of gravitas and all that good stuff. And um, so you're a smart guy. What got you into these subjects? What got you to say, hey, I'm going to dedicate a major part of my life to exploring <laughs> these these ancient mysteries and all these different things? Yeah, uh, it's something that's kind of always been with me as a young child, as far as like the uh, paranormal supernatural side of it. I was an experiencer, had uh, experiences with uh, shadow people when I was, uh, well, first real significant experience. I was about eight years old, had several more when uh, we moved back here to, to Ohio. And that really became uh, the basis of my book, A Walk in the Shadows. And over the years, uh, you know, meeting people talking to people at whether it's events uh you know speaking engagements that i had that sort of thing and compiling all this information data and of course the the stories that went along with it so that's something that's always been with me for the more esoteric side of things ancient wisdom and what have you that was really uh kind of a twofold thing like back to back so 
1993, the uh, documentary Mysteries of the Sphinx was released. That's the one where uh, Charlton Heston was the host. Mm -hmm. It was the research by uh, John Anthony West and Robert mm -hmm. Schock and just redating the Sphinx, which just, you know, absolutely fascinated me. And then in 1994, you know, really, I think it was really less than a year uh, that these things were released. The movie Stargate came out. And so those two things back to back just uh, really invigorated my curiosity into those ancient mysteries. And over the years, as okay, I'm, I'm looking into ancient mysteries, uh, esoteric knowledge, the, uh, the ancient civilizations, that sort of thing, uh, I started noticing a lot of uh, parallels between that type of research and the research that I was doing behind the scenes with the paranormal and supernatural phenomena and found that there were a lot of things uh, that connected the two together. And so, you know, that's where I have the, the connected universe now, which is my uh, online uh, learning portal and community area. And so we, we dive into how all of these different fascinating topics, whether it's paranormal, supernatural, esoteric wisdom, uh, cryptid sightings, uh, UFO phenomena, all of these different things, interdimensional beings are all connected. When we look at these ancient mysteries, I, I think no other part of the world looms larger than Egypt. Why is that? Why are we so focused on Egypt for these subjects? Why is it so crucial to the question of what came before? Yeah, I think it's because of the, the the gravitas of the massive buildings that are still standing and how old they are. Uh, when we look at the pyramids of Giza, you know, the Great Pyramid of Giza is the last of the seven ancient wonders of the world that's still standing and had been the tallest building in the world all the way up until the Eiffel Tower was built. That's a long time to be yeah. the tallest building in the world. Uh, then you have you know, all these ancient temples that are far older. And as you continue to dig in the desert, you're finding under those temples or back behind them even older structures. So you know, it causes us to wonder and question, okay, how old is this really? And when you start to look at you know, some of the uh, ancient stories of like, Atlantis. And, you know, there's, there is some truth behind that. And the story originally came from Egypt. It wasn't just, you know, Plato sat down one day right. and, write, and wrote a story uh, that originated with Solon, who had traveled to Egypt and got the story from, from Egypt. But you find similar tales of that great cataclysm, you know, all throughout the world. So, you know, when you're finding that uh, that story that's similar in all of these different cultures. And you look at Egypt, which also has that story, but the buildings are still standing. Mm -hmm. Then it causes us to, uh, you know, further investigate uh, you know, what really happened there. Who is there? What's the real story? Because here we know, you know we have those buildings still that we can research. Uh, to understand what the Egyptians did in terms of, uh, architecture and building and so forth. I'm sure that you looked into this. Let's say that there were an Elon Musk or a Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> who said, hey, you know what? I want to recreate the Giza pyramid, you know, down to the last detail uh, that, that we know of. Um, and that's something I want to do in the present day. I bought this huge plot of land, Wherever, and for whatever reason, I've decided I want to recreate it. A, could they? And B, what would it take 
to recreate the, the Great Pyramid? <laughs> um, well, no, they they couldn't. There have actually been attempts for that, and um, you know, some years back, uh, and. Um, forget the country that the team was from, but they uh, did try to, on a smaller scale, uh, make a you know, replica pyramid and they failed at it. You know, just mm-hmm. even trying to uh, scale it down and even in the middle of the process, they're like, you know, we need to scale this further. Uh, you know, so trying to recreate the pyramid, that that's something we don't understand how they were able to do that. Um you know, you look at some of these other structures as well, like, uh, you know, the, the Trilithon at, at Baalbek, you know, they're, they're moving stones that our current technology can't today. We don't have a crane big enough to be able to do it. And to be able to do this within, you know, the you know, traditional archaeologist tells us, well, it was built within a 20-year period. Uh, yeah, but to, to be able just mathematically figuring out the sheer size of it, the number of blocks, the, you know, the manpower that you're expecting to be there. There's no way they could have done it uh, within that time with, you know, they're talking a number of different theories as far as like, oh, they used a ramp, they used pulleys, all these. It's just not really humanly possible, even working 24-7 around the clock to have done it. So we don't understand how they built it and we don't have the technology today to recreate it. So uh, you know, that's where we start looking at alternative theories and ideas. You know, what other type of technology may they have had? Was it uh, some sort of uh, sound technology in which they were able to vibrate the blocks and move mm-hmm. them somehow? Uh, you know, Edward Lee Scanlon, who built a coral castle in uh, yes. Florida, you know, it's amazing structure. And that, le- that leaves us you know, scratching our heads. How was he able to do this? He kind of did, did this in the secret of night. He had this. And he did uh, it. He was, if I remember correctly, he was not yeah. a large man in particular. No, he was and small. he was one man. And what was the story? The story was that he had a, uh, I don't know if his wife or fiance died or they didn't get married or there was some tragic love story behind it. Uh, and then he felt moved to create which is still there, the Boral Castle, which are these mm-hmm. huge things that, that you would need cranes and all these things. But he did it by himself. And what was this, around the 20s, 30s, somewhere in there? Yeah, it was around the, uh, yeah, it was around the 20s and 30s. I think it was in the 30s. And yeah, it was, uh, you know, the, there was a woman behind it. You know, he did it for love and was his love was thwarted, unfortunately. Uh, but he built this magnificent structure. And yeah, he was a slight guy. He was, you know, pretty, pretty small. Um, yeah, so he didn't have a lot of strength to be moving things around. He had this strange uh, tripod uh, with a black box set up. Nobody knew what was in the black box. And uh, on occasion, you know, people would, you know, because he did a lot of this at night, people would walk by. There were some kids that once reported that he was holding these two uh, almost looked like snow cones in his hand. And they weren't really sure what they were, but he was using them somehow. So he said that he had figured out the the secrets of of the ancients and how they had built many of their structures. Uh, and looking in his documentation that uh, we have uh, after after his death, at least the stuff that has been released, it, it appears that he figured out uh, some sort of secret with magnetism. But mm-hmm. we have yet to unlock what mm-hmm. that secret was. Mm-hmm. So I mean, back to the Egyptians. Um, And to your point, I think that these days when we think about technology, we think about circuit boards, uh, we think about computers, 
And I think that the fact that we haven't found a motherboard somewhere amongst the <laughs> ancient ruins makes us right. think, oh, they didn't have better technology. But technology is not necessarily a straight line. It could have been a different type of technology, right. not, a, not, not like an iPhone or, or something like we think of normally, but a different technology that we've just not figured out. Yeah, you're exactly right. And that's that's really the example I use all all the time when discussing this. Uh, you know, we like to say that the ancients had high technology that's been lost to time. And when people, you know, hear the term high technology, they immediately think computer, cell phone, that sort of thing. And no, it's it was a different type of high technology. Their civilization unlocked a secret that allowed them to be able to build these incredible structures that we can't today. And over time, for a variety of different reasons, that knowledge was lost. And when the subsequent uh, culture started to redevelop technology, it just, it went in a different direction. So our high technology is different than theirs. We are able to do things today that they could not, but they were able to do things back then that we currently cannot. So uh, there, there's some give and take there. Now, um, there's a lot of, I was playing around with chat GP and chat, uh, chat GPT the other day. Mm -hmm. And I actually, I knew this interview was coming up. So I said, talk to me about the concept of Egyptian stargates, which we'll talk about. Okay. And it gave me the listing, you know, what you would expect. But then it was filled throughout the whole thing. Well, this is pseudoscience. You know, this is not uh, looked upon seriously by serious archaeologists and researchers. And uh, and they kept like disclaiming it every other paragraph. It was really, sure. I mean, I understand, okay, you're obviously trained on a set of data that has a particular bias and you put it in once. But it was almost comical, like after every statement <laughs> 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 and obviously it's been uh, trained on data by quote right. mainstream science archaeologists i remember when i was in college i think i told you this we were doing a uh, the 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 native american mounds uh in southern mm -hmm. ohio which are fantastic yeah and we were doing a documentary in college about it and i and this was before ancient aliens even existed, but the Von Donneken stuff was certainly around before we were yeah. both born. And I said, you know, what about this whole ancient astronauts idea? You know, Serpent Mound, you can see it from an elevation, but you can't see it from the ground. Mm -hmm. And uh, I always say that the the uh, chairman of the Department of Archaeology looked at me like I did something to his soup. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Yeah. Why is there such a resistance from the mainstream on these alternate ideas, whether it comes to construction or something like a Stargate, which we're going to talk about later? Why do you think that is? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, there's a variety of different reasons. I mean, you can go, you know, straight pure conspiracy theory route and say that there's a, a specific narrative that they're trying to feed us and keep us in the dark about something that happened in our ancient past. You can go down that route. Uh, some of it's very, uh, you know, very logical. If you go uh, too far down a, a certain route that, you know, box traditional thought, uh, you you can lose your grant. You can lose your funding. A researcher out there in the field, if they um, if they have a grant to you know for an archaeological dig out in Egypt, and they start talking, uh, I'm trying to find a Stargate. They're they're going to lose their right. funding. Uh, others have you know it's it's the 
been their livelihood for 40, 50 years. They have taught something one specific way this whole time. They may have published books on this topic and they just, they're really uh, averse to changing their mode of thinking and saying, I've been wrong for the last 40 or 50 years. Uh, and which is really, which is really a shame because you know that this person got into the field with a desire to uncover those mysteries. It, yeah, to uncover the truth and, and to be out there and, and find new things. But somewhere along the way, they changed and they want to hold on to uh, and they want to hold on to their ideals, which, um, you know, to me, it's like, well, if, if you're worried about, you know, we're going to have to tear up all your old books, just write another one. You know? <laughs> <laughs> write yeah. a new one. It is interesting. And the thing is, I think that extends to many areas of science. And I'm a big uh, I'm a big respecter of science. I mean, what we're really doing now, and you're a little younger than me, but you'll remember this, used to have to be Ted Koppel, right? And yeah. you used to have to, you know, have a satellite. And now we can do this right from the, the comfort of our own little studios and own little homes. It's amazing. And, and science made that possible. So I'm big yeah. respecter of science, but I hate these blind spots because after all, science should be the search for truth. And if the truth is uncomfortable... Oh, well, but I guess that's easier to say when you're not up for tenure. I don't know. Well, yeah, exactly. And the funny <laughs> thing is, is that uh, a lot of our pseudoscience from the past is our current science today. Exactly. Uh, you know, we, exactly. A, a great person that we could look at is Nikola Tesla and all of his yeah. fantastic ideas that he had 100, 120, 130 years ago have, have come to pass now. And, and we have a lot of that technology today. Yeah. But back then it was looked at pseudoscience. He was laughed out of rooms all the time for yeah. uh, his There's different that ideas. Guy, what was his name? Galileo. I heard of him before. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was pseudoscience, too. Uh, Absolutely. Well, we're having a good time talking with Mike Ricksecker, and we will be back on the Paranormal Podcast right after this. The Paranormal Podcast is brought to you by Parabox. And Parabox is made for people like us who love the paranormal. And once again, we're joined by the mastermind behind Parabox himself, Jim Hamilton. Jim so glad to have you back on the show again. Could you explain to the folks the concept behind Parabox? Our designs are as diverse and as intriguing as the supernatural world itself. From mysterious cryptids like Bigfoot and Chupacabra, to chilling ghost stories, haunted locations, and even mind-boggling topics like Area 51 and alien encounters. We've explored a lot over the last seven years, and guess what? We've only scratched the surface. Imagine wearing a shirt that not only features a cool design, but also kickstarts conversations about these mysterious topics wherever you happen to be. It's like wearing a piece of the unknown that keeps the intrigue alive. Well, I'm absolutely amazed by how intricate they are. We love adding those sneaky details that make you do a double, triple, or even a quadruple take. Think hidden symbols and subtle nods that only the sharpest eyes will catch. It's like wearing a piece of art that spins a paranormal tale. Each shirt design contains a password that will unlock our monthly challenge. And hey, not only are our tees a visual adventure, but they're also super soft and comfy, guaranteed to become your new favorite in no time. And really, the t-shirts, they're a game too. Like I mentioned before, every shirt we send is basically a puzzle in disguise. And at Parabox, it's not about wearing a puzzle, it's about diving into the thrill of solving it. We throw in clues, codes, and visuals that will put your mind to the test. 
Plus, each tea comes with a handy content card explaining the theme and pointing you towards our monthly challenge. And trust me, each month is a new adventure, with some months being trickier than others. If you're clever enough to crack the challenge, you could score yourself some pre-Parabox merch. It's like a monthly brain teaser with a chance to snag some cool gear. Simply put, Jim, I think people just need to get Parabox. And you've got a special deal for them, right? Absolutely, I do, Jim. For all your paranormal podcast listeners, this one's for you. Use the code JIM20 at checkout and you'll snag a 20% discount on your order. That offer is not only good for our paranormal tees, but for our national park shirts as well. Also, be sure to follow Parabucks Monthly on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok for more paranormal content, as well as contests and giveaways. So head on over to ParabucksMonthly.com and use promo code JIM20 to start your paranormal adventure today. That's right. Go to ParaboxMonthly.com and take advantage of that great deal. Thanks, Jim, for taking some time out of your very busy schedule. Now I know you're going to get back to designing more great shirts. No purchase necessary to be entered into their monthly drawing. You can find all the details at ParaboxMonthly.com. Thanks, Parabox. If you love the Paranormal Podcast, be sure to check out Jim Harold's Campfire, where ordinary people share their extraordinary stories of ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, and terrifying encounters. Find it for free wherever you listen to this podcast. Tune in to Jim Harold's Campfire today. Now we return to the Paranormal Podcast. We're back on the Paranormal Podcast. Our guest today is Mike Ricksecker. If you've watched uh, Ancient Aliens or a lot of the TV shows these days, you'll see him. You'll see him on the bestseller lists on Amazon. He has his own live streams, his own publishing company. And uh, he's just a very busy guy, very accomplished. You can actually find his website. I believe that's MikeRicksecker.com. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Correct, by gregsecker.com. And there you can see his most uh, recent book that we did a show on not too long ago, Travels Through Time. Now, before we move on from the topic of ancient Egyptian construction, the pyramids and so forth, I've got to believe over the years, having done this for so long, you've developed some theories. What are maybe your kind of pet theories as to what is behind uh, this ability uh, to construct these magnificent uh, uh, pyramids that that we could, as you pointed out earlier, we couldn't do it today. So, so, what's your money on? How did they do it? Yeah, I believe it was uh, probably some sort of anti gravity technology. Whether it used you know, magnetism or used some sort of uh, you know sound technology, uh, but basically it was a, a type of anti gravity technology that was able to move these uh, blocks into place. And I think, and I'll I'll take this a little bit further because I've I've done a little bit of uh, research as well into uh, Antarctica, and I think one of the things that they are down there looking for. Now we know that the the island used to be elsewhere on the planet they have uh you know in the core samples they have found ancient jungles and things like this down there but then we find ancient maps that you know supposedly we didn't know antarctica existed until about 1820 but you look at ancient maps from you know hundreds and hundreds of years ago and you actually see antarctica on the map so uh mm. so we already knew it existed and i think what we are looking for down there and there's 
you look back to the 1930s, 1940s, and the Nazi regime, we know that they were there, and uh, you know, Hitler was looking for, you know, uh, objects of power. You know, that was why they kept collecting all of these different, you know, you know, precious artifacts and artwork and things like that is, you know, he believed that these things would give him additional power. Well, okay, then why Antarctica? And I think uh, what was, what's going, what had gone on down there and what they're looking for down there is another ancient culture that if it is mm. lost there under the ice, then perhaps it is pristine and completely retained. And if they discover it, they may be able to find that technology that was used to build all of these other objects. Like when we look at the, the pyramids, the Sphinx, these sort of things, you know, this, these things were built by uh, people before the dynastic Egyptians. So we look back at uh, what we're calling the Atlantean uh, culture or in the ancient Egyptian texts, they call them the, the primeval ones. Uh, so, you know, th there was a very, very ancient culture that existed that had this technology. And I, and I think that might be one place on earth where we can actually find it. Hmm. Interesting. So, um, Stargate. Uh, and in mm -hmm. um, Antarctica, that's fascinating. Um, Stargates. So, I mean, let's bring that into it. Stargates, yes. to my understanding, they'd be able to to go vast distances, maybe in different dimensions, maybe in different times, whatever it might be. Do yeah. you think there was some kind of portal from Egypt to Antarctica? Do you think that's a possibility? <laughs> Possibly. Uh, when we look around the globe, you know, we see you know, there, there are pyramids all over the place. And some of them look eerily, eerily familiar. You know, you look at uh, the, you know, the Step Pyramid in uh, in Saqqara in Egypt, and then you look looking at uh, like Chichen Itza. You know, they're very, very similar in their construction. So was their knowledge passed back and forth between those two cultures? And if so, if they were not supposed to have been connected, how did they share that knowledge? And what's what's interesting is on uh, Elephantine Island. Now, this is an island that has a uh, well, has a couple of temples on there. One is completely destroyed, except for all that's left is the entrance gate. Everything else back behind it has it. It just looks like it's been completely blown over. Well, this is one of the gates that is supposed to be a stargate. So, down the hill from that is another temple which is still standing and one of the friezes within that temple is of an individual he's holding out a necklace but his headdress is very very reminiscent of a mayan headdress and so it has to make you wonder okay how in the world does somebody resembling that get on a wall here in egypt mm. so were they utilizing this uh you know supposed stargate at the you know at the temple at the top of the hill to go back and forth between here and south america so that's you know one possibility there but we see all throughout uh abydos dandara karnak many of these other temples you know it's right in your face in plain sight the word stargate and uh it's basically the word is is saba um, I'll, I'll get a little technical here for a moment. Please do. And yeah, yeah. So uh, when we look at ancient hieroglyphs, the uh, folded sheet is the letter S. The 
uh, foot is the letter B, SB. They didn't have vowels in the ancient Egyptian language. So we kind of supplement some in there, Saba, for that. Uh, but then you also have the determinatives that is part of uh, the entire word here. And those are basically uh, ideograms that help you determine what the meaning of the word is supposed to be. One of those is a star, generally comes right after the folded sheet for S. And then the other one is the gate, which comes right after uh, the B or the, the B uh, letter. So there you have, you know, right in your face, star and gate. Saba is the word. The uh, our tour guide Mohammed Ibrahim is actually uh, named his tour company Saba Tours after this. So you're getting the Stargates of ancient Egypt tour with essentially the Stargate Tour Company. Now, in what ways is it theorized that the Egyptians use this? You mentioned some of them earlier. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other ways that, through your research and the research of others, that you believe that the Egyptians may have used Stargates? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of different ideas of, of what they could have been used for. Yes, it, sure. They could have been using them to travel across the cosmos like we see in the movie Stargate. I don't it, I don't think it's swirled that way like we see in, in the films and all that. And that you have to you know keep in mind that's Hollywood and and you know they got to make everything look really glamorous. And another uh, word's portal. A, I mean another word would yeah. be portal, right? Portal, wormhole. Yes, exactly. Now that that could go to some other uh, place in the universe, could go to, like we already said, to another place on earth, could pass into another dimension, could even take us to another point in time, or simply, you know, enter into some sort of altered state of consciousness. And we see this, you know, today as people are, you know, experimenting with things like, like ayahuasca, that, you know, they have entered into some sort of altered state of consciousness and are experiencing different things. And we see on, you know, the walls there, as, you know, we enter into the Stargate rooms, there are depictions of, uh, of the Egyptian priests using the, uh, basically their, their white cakes. And many people believe, and when you, you know, kind of read through, um, you know, many people believe this uh, white powder substance was what we call monatomic white gold, which has some really, really interesting properties in which um, you know, we mentioned anti-gravity before. When we put it in a metal tray. It, the tray actually ends up lighter than it was uh, <laughs> when you when you heat it to certain temperatures. It completely disappears. Uh, you know, it's a, a lot of really, really fascinating things. So if you ingest this and walk into you know, what's what they have labeled as the Stargate room, you know, where is it really that you're going? That's what we really haven't discovered. But I will say this, many of these buildings, like when you look at the temple of Dendara, which is, is a temple of Hathor, which she was you know, primarily seen as a uh, healing goddess. But you have a lot of symbolism also taking us back to the stars. This is where we found the uh, what we call the Egyptian zodiac, which is now in the Louvre. Uh, mm -hmm. they, they have a recreation of it there. When you walk into the entrance hall, you look at the ceiling. It's beautiful, beautiful blue. And you have all of these amazing depictions of, uh, of people traveling across the stars in boats or ships. So these are almost, you know, their version of a spaceship. And then in one of these um, rooms at the uh, 
top of the temple, which we're, we're now dubbing the Stargate room because you see this depiction of Stargate, Stargate, Stargate all over the place. And again, on the ceiling, you have, uh, you know, even, even more of these uh, depictions of, uh, of the universe and of the stars. And so, uh, you know, this, this is pretty, uh, you know, significant symbolism that these Stargates were in fact used to travel across the stars as well. Now, you have the mainstream archaeologists and so forth kind of pushing back. You know, yeah. obviously, you have the popularity of these theories with yourself and people like Grant Hancock uh, mm -hmm. and so forth and shows like Ancient Aliens and so forth. Do you have um, a feel that the worm is turning in that maybe with technology you think about things like imaging and, and things that could be mm -hmm. done that couldn't have been done 20 30 40 years ago do you feel like the worm is possibly turning to some extent and that we might uh, see some breakthroughs that can kind of like jostle mainstream archaeology out of its uh, slumber so to speak yeah it, it's going to be uh, a more difficult task with the with the archaeologists but in other sciences, they appear to be more open to it. The, the good thing about what we're doing here is we're, we're getting the thought into people's minds so that they can you know, go and research it on their own. So uh, last, and actually, I'll have to say the previous November, November 2022, it's 2024 now, I keep forgetting that. Yeah, I know, um, me too. No, yeah, <laughs> November 2022, there was a, uh, there was a paper that re was released by a group of scientists who had created a baby wormhole in the lab. Uh, mm -hmm. It was on the on the quantum level, and basically what it was is on either side, you had two very, very tiny black holes, and they were able to uh, connect the two and send a message through. So it's really, really the very beginnings of this type of technology that they were trying to recreate in the lab. Now, the press, when they got a hold of it, they started asking questions like, well, you know, can you do something like send a dog through it or whatever? And the scientists are kind of laughing at them like, you know, no, this is this is very small right now. But baby you steps, know, it, it, baby steps. Yeah, exactly. And I kind of laughed at it like, why is our first thought to send a dog through? Maybe we want to send a probe or something like that through right. first or, or, you know, what they did put. But they're, they're thinking about the space. Message. Remember the early space shots, the Russians. Right. Dogs. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's or yeah. Soviets at that time. But I, I think that's where they're thinking. But you're right. That's way too complex. <laughs> it's not Star Trek. <laughs> But go ahead. Yeah, we saw what happened in Willy Wonka with uh, with Wonka Vision. Right? <laughs> the fly. Yeah. There, oh, the fly too. Yeah, yeah there you yeah, go. Yeah. But go. But 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 to your point, scientific advances are being made that could replicate mm -hmm. maybe some of this technology. It may take yeah. decades, but it's it's on its way. It's gotten gotten a start. It is. Yeah. So we're open uh, to these different ideas and trying to make them happen. So while you'll have a lot of traditional archaeologists kind of say, no, 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 you know, you got that's just pseudoscience. You know, you guys you know, don't have the story right, whatever, whatever it is that they're saying. And really, you know, for me, you know, I'm just you know, connecting the dots, you know, I'm observing something here, I'm researching something over there and I'm, and I'm finding similarities, you know, between it all. So all I'm doing is connecting the dots uh, and just, you know, letting others, uh, you know, aware of what it is that I have, that I have actually deduced. And, you know, that's just really, you know, creating the conversation, causing people to think and maybe come up with their own ideas. 
And then you have, uh, you know, other sciences there that are actually, you know, maybe they were, and I don't know the scientists specifically, I haven't talked to them, but, you know, maybe they were inspired by, you know, a movie like Stargate or, you know, maybe something, um, you know, like uh, John Anthony West or Eric Von Daniken or, or what have you that, you know, maybe they got some ideas from that and like, hmm, that's not a bad idea. Let me see what I can do with that. Now, um, talking about Von Daniken, and, and you know, you've been on Ancient Aliens quite a lot. Mm -hmm. um, that question of ancient aliens, do you think that this technology that the Egyptians used was possibly imparted to them by ancient aliens? I know there's this thought out here that when you talk about ancient cultures and you bring in the question of ancient aliens, that somehow mm -hmm. you are speaking of the ancient culture in a derogatory way, you're kind of downplaying their intelligence. I think there's a kind of thought of that. So with that in mind, what are your thoughts of the ancient Egyptians, possibly ancient aliens, and maybe your your answer to that, that particular critique? Yeah, it, where I see that come into play a lot is, um, okay, so you know I've been advertising my you know, Stargates of Ancient Egypt tour, and I've had people, you know, respond to whether it was like a, a post on Facebook or whatever. Well, um, you know, the aliens did not build, you know, the pyramids. Well, I, I never said anything about <laughs> aliens building the pyramids. Right. Um, you know, I, and, and I don't, and I don't believe that that is the case now. I, and I believe it was, you know, people here on earth, a civilization here on earth that built them. And I believe it was an older civilization than uh, the, the ones postulated by uh, traditional archaeology. But what I do believe it, you know, could have possibly happened because we see this, we've seen it happen on earth cross-culturally where people share knowledge. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility that, yeah. The extraterrestrials could have come here to Earth and imparted some knowledge on the peoples of this planet to take that up. And we see in the stories from these cultures like uh, Thoth in Egypt, uh, Quetzalcoatl out there in Mesoamerica, you know, that was what they said the story was that, you know, these beings visited them, you know, after the great you know, cataclysm and then imparted knowledge on to them so that they could rebuild their culture so it's mm -hmm. already in their their own cultural heritage that this passing on of knowledge occurred so why does it have to why can't it be uh you know an extraterrestrial uh, civilization that came here and gave that knowledge and then also Tying in, you talked to it at the very beginning uh, of the interview about the, the paranormal side and maybe some of the connections. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about the Egyptians a little bit? And we could fill hours with this, but the Egyptians yeah. and their relationship with the supernatural. So, okay, maybe they had a more advanced science. Maybe they were able to master anti-gravity or magnetism, but obviously they had a very spiritual side as well. Can you talk right. about where, uh, where that comes into play? Yeah, absolutely. So the ancient Egyptians believed in many, many different parts of the soul. And where I really became fascinated with this was in, because I did a lot of work on uh, on shadow people you know, because of my experiences and then mm -hmm. all the you know, research I'd done in that area for a while and then finding, okay, well, one of the parts of the soul of the uh, Egyptian, ancient Egyptian culture was 
the shadow. And so as uh, when a person passed away, you know, all these you know, other parts of the soul passed on to the constellation, constellation of Orion. Uh, two parts stayed for a, a while. One was the Ka, which would roam around on Earth for a little while and then would eventually move on. And then the shadow, which always remained. Uh, and always lingered here on earth. So I always found that really, really fascinating. But then as I got deeper into that, so my last book, Travels Through Time, I took a look at, okay, you know, what are ancient cultures you know, talking about when it comes to time? And when we look at the, what we call the Egyptian Book of the Dead, which is really the book of going forth by day. And it's really like a series of uh, spells and they're all, they're all a bit different. There's no like one complete uh, source of this, but the most beautiful and most complete is the Papyrus of Ani. Mm-hmm. And he was a scribe from ancient Egypt. So some believe this may have actually been written by him. We're not sure could have, he could have commissioned it. Um, it's a beautiful scroll. And throughout this narrative, you know, Ani is, he's dead throughout the whole narrative of this book. And he's there with his wife, Tutu, going through the afterlife. And he gets to a point where he's talking with the God known as Atom. And now this is one of the, uh, this is a creation God. And Ani, who is, again, he's already dead throughout this whole narrative, asked Atom, what is going to be the duration of my life? Now he's already dead, but he's asking what the duration of his life is going to be. And Atom says, well, it's going to be for millions of millions of years on millions of millions of years. So we see like this layering of time that he's uh, describing here to somebody who's already supposed to be dead. So this is the idea that the soul is, is ever living and uh, I, I'm not going to get into stack time theory here today as beyond the scope of our conversation, but it is, you know, showing that layering of time and it further goes on to explain like the recycling of the soul and this sort of thing. So, um, so yeah, they were uh, really, really deeply spiritual people. Well, I mean, we could go on and on because there is so much to explore. And speaking of exploring, you're going to be doing some exploring yes. in April with some uh, with some fine folks. Talk to us about what's coming up in April, how people can potentially get involved and tell us all about it. Yeah, absolutely. Stargates of Ancient Egypt Tour 2. This is our second annual one, but I've been I've been going back to Egypt on a regular basis here for for some years now. Um so you can find out, uh, you know, all the details, all the information through my uh, website, MikeRicksecker.com. Just go to the events and tours uh, tab there and take a look at that. But um, yeah, we, we have a wonderful lineup in store here for this tour. And really the, the big highlight is uh, the Pyramid of Giza, just our group, two hours. The entire pyramid is opened up to us. We have free roam, uh, free reign over the entire pyramid. So, uh, you know, the the public, the usual public tour for that is, you know, you get your ticket and you walk up the Grand Gallery into the King's Chamber, walk back down. No, we get the whole thing into the subterranean chamber, into the Queen's Chamber, all of that. Um, 
you know, we've, we have uh, Alexandria is on the docket this time. So that'll be a first for me. I've not yet been up to Alexandria. Uh, we do go down to uh, like Luxor, Kar- Karnak, Hatshepsut's Temple, Dandara, Abydos, all those wonderful temples down there in the Nile. And the way that we do that is we get on a uh, Nile cruise for four days and we sail up and down the Nile, hitting all oh, the me. different temples along the way. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's great. And uh, again, one more time, how can people access that? How can they get involved? Tell them one more time. Absolutely. MikeRickSecker.com. Just go to my events and tours tab and you'll see the uh, some information there and the link to register. And uh, I know you've got a ton going on all the time. I'm just reading your bio. You know, Mike is always doing something. In addition to this tour, anything else you'd like to notify people about and have them look out for? Yeah, uh, beginning of February here, uh, the 9th through the 12th, I'm going to be at Conscious Life Expo in Los Angeles. A really, really big uh, conference. A lot of fantastic speakers there that are, um, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, a lot more of this esoteric knowledge, inner workings of the universe. Uh, We got people talking about paranormal supernatural activity. You got people talking, you know, five-dimensional spiritual uh, topics, all that wonderful stuff. I'll be talking about time travel there on uh, Friday. Friday, February 9th. Uh, so yeah, be sure to come out uh, to that. You can find the link to that on my website as well, but that's uh, Conscious Life Expo. Mike, it's always great to speak with you. Uh, you're going from strength to strength, and I think that we're going to be hearing even more from you in the future. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks again, Jim. Always appreciate it. And we thank you for tuning in to the Paranormal Podcast. Just a reminder This show is now also available on YouTube as a video. So, you know, uh, audio is still our bread and butter, but uh, this is a a new thing for us and uh, hope you check it out. Also, I should mention uh, Valentine's Day is coming up and we have a special Valentine's Day shirt, T-shirt and hoodie over at jimherald.com slash merch. Just click on the uh, Etsy uh, Entry there once you get to jimherald.com slash merch, and uh, you'll see some neat uh, Valentine shirts uh, employing the Stay Spooky theme. It's a lot of fun, and it supports the show. And speaking of supporting the show, please share this show in your favorite app wherever you listen, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it may be, right from that app. That would be so helpful. We thank you. We'll talk to you next time. Have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>